Welcome to Brillante, the podcast with a French accent which gives a voice to women who move the lines. My name is Jeanne Dussartel, and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented and inspiring women with atypical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries and develop your own brilliant projects. Alizé de Tonac is the co-founder and the CEO of Seed Stars World, a global startup competition which aims is to identify and support the most promising entrepreneurial initiatives in emerging markets. I was really putting a lot of effort in having what I thought was a perfect CV. And so L'Oréal was this huge institution. It had the big title, the status, the glamour that went with. And it was such a big failure and misunderstanding of what your life project should look like. I would not recommend my children today to focus on grades and that kind of exterior portray that you have to play. Ultimately, if it's not authentic with what you want to be, that value added of having a nice title, who cares? At just 32 years old, she has already traveled around the world. She has been recognized by the biggest international medias, including Forbes and Wired. And she's one of Europe's 50s most influential women in the startup and venture capital space. But that's not all. Alize is also the mother of two children. In this honest discussion, the French woman looks back on her path of excellence, marked by her international childhood and studies, her beginnings at L'Oréal, and her early entrepreneurial career. Alize explains the evolution of her role and responsibilities as CEO as Seed Stars keeps developing around the world. But she also shares her fears, her doubts, and her heavy imposter syndrome that she cannot get rid of despite the success. Alizé talks about the couple she forms with Pierre-Alain Masson in life as at Seed Stars. She recounts the social pressure that she experienced when becoming a mother and admits the difficulty she had in finding her new place after this major change. This exchange is extremely rich and is really worth a listen. So don't lose a minute and dive into this new episode with the brilliant Alizé de Tonac. Dear Alizé, thank you very much for accepting my invitation. I'm super happy to have you on Brillante today. To start with, I would like to know we are now in, in the Seed Space office in Geneva. Yes. Can you describe this place? Yes. Well, thank you for having me. I think the Seed Space in Geneva is more of a legacy because we have where some people working in Switzerland and, and, and really the HQ and the DNA is Swiss. But Uh, Seed Space is actually our our brand for our co-working hubs uh, across the world. So now we have 15 and we're in Tanzania, uh, in Mexico, in Myanmar. And uh, the objective is try to put kind of all these stakeholders interested in supporting entrepreneurs under one roof, basically. Very nice. I always start my interviews the same way. Okay. Um, I would like to know what did you think when you heard this name, Brillant, for the first time? What do you consider as brilliant? Bri bri yeah. Brilliant. It makes me think of think of brilliant minds. So that would be the association I would always have. 
And then uh, thinking of women, uh, I have many uh, faces, conversations in mind. <laughs> Do you have an example of a sparkling woman, someone that has really been inspiring yeah. you? It's difficult to point out one because I'm very American in the way that I love quotes. I love role models like I breathe, eat that every day. So, I mean, just in this week, I've spoken to, to a woman, Elena White, who's worked with us on building our framework to measure the impact at SeedStars, and she's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, I spoke this morning with one of our talents at SeedStars, two of them, Claudia and Tiziana, and they're brilliant women with, with whom I'm very lucky to work with. I just dropped off my daughter at school, and she's literally brilliant because uh, she's less than a year old. And if I'm not mistaken, in the first year of life, their brain actually doubles in size. Yeah. It's unbelievable to yeah. see um, the first how brilliant are they are. So that's just, and then I don't know, I think I was listening to the song of Angèle, this Belgic yeah. um, singer. She, I find she's brilliant and So yeah, it can the list can go on, and that was just my last 24 <laughs> hours. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, you actually mentioned it right away. Uh, you are French, but you were raised as an expat. Yes. You've been traveling the world uh, between Singapore, uh, the United United States, California, and you now you're, you're now in Switzerland, mm -hmm. and you keep saying that you are really much American. Ah, yeah. And I was wondering. <laughs> Um, what is the value that Northern Americans share that make yeah. you feel close to them? When I'm in saying the USA, I was actually in Silicon Valley. So in California, where there really is this mentality of being larger than life, everything's possible. I remember at school, it was very much positive reinforcement. You can do anything, you can be anyone. Mm -hmm. And that probably has its limitations, but it's true that always gave me, um, yeah, th this kind of American dream um, and the way they market and it's so well and the storytelling is so well said in many ways that makes me uh, very American, I guess. So that's something that fascinates you. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely. I think that the marketing power of this American dream is really interesting. And what kind of child were you? I was, I was definitely an extrovert, am an extrovert. So I, I get energy by being with people. I was very loud, apparently, and mm -hmm. quite... Um, Very emotional too, so that didn't always play in my favor. But uh, uh, in French, we say capricieuse. Uh -huh. So uh, yeah. Uh, and what was your dream back then when you were a child? What did you want to become? I don't think there was a dream, to be honest, or at least I have no recollection. And I don't think it 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 was uh, remarkable enough that my parents <laughs> remembered it. But now that I don't, there there was no uh, strong dream. But I, th I guess your life was not like the normal life of a young little girl because you were traveling everywhere, because you were speaking many languages. How has this been impacting you and still today? I think it really gave me this travel bug. So for sure, I love traveling. And uh -huh. I, I think it comes from the fact that I grew up in different places. And But then again, it, was by, it wasn't by choice. Um, the eagerness and the curiosity to see how other people live 
and build stuff really came from my first travels when I decided to go out there. But for sure, yeah, that level of luck that I had to be able to be exposed so early to different cultures has definitely shaped me. Yeah, I think that's probably the most evident consequence of it. And when you started your studies, actually, yes. you came back to Europe. Mm -hmm. First for your A-level that you did in France, and then you mm -hmm. you chose to study in Switzerland, mm -hmm. uh, in HEC Lausanne. Yes. Uh, why did you choose to come back to Europe? It actually was my parents, um, and I did the baccalaureate. So it was mm -hmm. one where there, it was a, it was a new baccalaureate where they had half of the subjects, we would do them in English. So it was kind of an international baccalaureate. And um, it was my parents that had decided that it was time to go back to Europe because they felt like we had no longer any French roots. Mm -hmm. And for them, it was part of the education that they felt was important that we would reconnect with uh, our French roots. Yeah, it's true that it can be something quite difficult for the expats True. Uh, uh, yes. to actually find your roots and to know actually where you belong yes. and where you come from and... And uh, to be honest, we're so we're four children, and I think we all have this idea that so we feel French in the sense that indeed our parents have shared this French culture with us, and we spoke French at home, and mm -hmm. uh, we connect with a lot of elements, maybe in in the history, the music, the food, but w it's limited to that. We don't feel more French uh, as my parents are much more patriotic, for example. Mm -hmm. But we do realize that we we've never had this concept of childhood friends, the same summer home, this idea that I need to go back and live at home. Like, what is home? Our sense of roots is really two individuals, my mother and my father. Um, so it's never been linked to a soil in the end. It's been linked to these two individuals, wherever they may be. Super interesting. And and why did you choose to actually go to HEC Lausanne? It's quite an anecdotal reason because when we were living in Singapore, my father, that is a big tennis player, believed that the best tennis courts were at the Swiss club. Uh -huh. <laughs> so he made a lot of Swiss <laughs> friends. And when my big brother was looking at the most appropriate studies for him in France, it's true that the elite schools in France, you have to go through les écoles préparatoires, which were extremely intense for for us that had never studied in France. And we were in English schools uh, by then. And so my father, speaking with his friends, realized that Switzerland had this great educational system and it was a different format where you could get in looking at different Uh, skills. And so he went to do the polytechnical school in, in Lausanne. Then I followed him with HSC, then my little sister with uh, So we all four moved to Switzerland following the bigger brother or sister. So you became French and Swiss or <laughs> inter really international in the end. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And now when you look back at your studies, what's, what's the most important thing that you learned there? My happiness during those years in HSO Lausanne is very much linked to my extracurricular activities. So I was part of the Comité HEC, which was basically the student association. Mm -hmm. And that's where I made some of the more meaningful relationships and friendships. 
and also where I learned the most and where I've been able to reuse that in work. Like what, for instance? It was just, it was a mini organization. We had uh, our PNL. We had to manage uh, our clients' expectations. We were experimenting on different products and services to, to bring out there. I was really pushing myself outside my comfort zone. So this um, was really not an organization to organize parties. It was really like a working one yeah, with so clients. We, we and had with... all the parties with it. Yeah. But um, I'm quite a serious person. And, and so I took it seriously. And so there was all these elements to it. But for sure, it's my also my best memories of parties. And one of my d closest, dearest friend um, I met through, uh, through the committee. And showing that you are a kind of, I guess, a serious student, just after HSC, you joined one of the most renowned companies in the world, L'Oréal, that's known also to be mm. a kind of a hard place, really demanding. Yeah. Why did you choose this company? So after HSC Lausanne, I actually did my master's in Bocconi in Italy, uh -huh. in Milan. So I, I did two more years and I was really putting a lot of effort in having what I thought was a perfect CV. So like really, really good grades. I When I went to Bocconi, everything was in getting the cum laude. Like I was also trying to do, I think, extracurricular activities so it would look better on my CV. Everything was in an approach to be that kind of perfect talent and candidate. And so L'Oréal, for me, that felt like marketing would be an interesting career path, was this huge institution. It had the big title, the status, mm -hmm. the glamour that went with the products that you would sell because I was also looking into being in the luxury department and it was such a big failure uh, and misunderstanding of what of what your life project should look like. <laughs> what, what do you mean by this? Why a failure? Because so it's a great lesson so I wouldn't take it back and I learned a lot at L'Oréal and I learned also what I didn't want to do but I would not recommend my children today to focus on grades and mm -hmm. that kind of exterior portray that you have to play it's one thing to know that you have to package a certain way you have to communicate a certain way mm -hmm. you have to play a bit by their rules but ultimately if it's not authentic with what you want to be That value added of having a nice title to share with people and selling nice products, but uh, who cares? Who cares? Yeah, maybe it's also, it's a bit the older generations that were thinking this way, like... Yes. No, uh, no, it's, it's the, true. The importance of, of big companies and big, yeah, big lines on TV and... True, true, And now true. you are the proof that you can actually create your own company and have an impact that's maybe yeah no you're right and I think there has been this shift and we see all the bigger corporates today that don't even look at CVs anymore they're not interested in which university you've been to um, so definitely there has been a shift so this pushed you out of the corporate world I <laughs> guess you were not you were not happy there that it means like no it, it they, was, uh, when you when you were at L'Oréal it was clear that you, actually that's not for you you want to leave or what what, what happened it wasn't at, unfortunately it wasn't as obvious as that it's just that there was this feeling of complacence which is really I don't know how to describe it but it was there were too many rules there were too many stomach aches for for not the right reasons i remember we had to to kind of hide behind our desks and work till 9 10 just to show that we were there until 9 10 yeah. 
it was the obsession of putting everyone in copy by fear that if you were the one that made the error, Isn't you could really at French? least back yeah. yourself with with the CC. And yeah, and and all this huge effort to, in the end, be selling lipsticks. There's something that bothered me in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rigor, the the analytical capabilities that I learned, I mean, I learned so much and there were really impressive leaders there. Um, so you can never take any experience for granted and and you have to start somewhere. So it's very difficult. I think this also idea that you're going to wake up with a passion or it's something intrinsic that was always sitting in you um, is even more dangerous to be telling to the generation today yeah because you have to develop it you have to find it you have to do things yeah just do do things things. yeah do things and you'll and yeah do things so what pushed you concretely out of l'oréal was it so many elements uh but there was this uh, which i use all the which i say all the time but it's true huh um eleanor roosevelt which is an unbelievable woman and I had no idea at that time how how much guts she had. Uh, would say, do one thing every day that scares you, yeah, and and I would love this one. <laughs> yeah, and it continues with the fact that it's because it's in those little things that you will build the courage to do the things that you do. And um, I was a bit ashamed. I, yeah, I was a bit ashamed that I couldn't, I couldn't represent that quote, I guess, or something like that, and interactions, meetings, speaking with colleagues that were counting the years to retirement. And I really was petrified to the idea that the you, good life would come after work. And 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 again, it's funny, in, in another interview, someone was saying you were actually just spoiled. And I think I was actually quite spoiled. I also had the the immense fortune to have parents that were open to these types of conversations. I think you are the sum of the people that surround you. And so I had good intentioned, open-minded people around me that that kept telling me, like, it's not a fine finalité. It doesn't end here. So you can, te- you can test a thousand things before thinking you got it wrong. And so it made it easier also for me to say, I stop here. And then there was the encounter with Pierre Alain and Michael and and having this mindset of to being... to become your partners. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And having this mindset of being open, I took that opportunity. And again, where I'm extremely lucky is that uh, it's the same partners I'm working with eight years later. And that's, that's not the first time hit kind of uh, normality. So that's where I, I do realize the luck I have. Yeah, I think that's what people say about creating a startup, creating your company. One of the, the most important thing is is the team in the beginning. Yes. Uh, what made you th- believe in this team? It's so funny because it wasn't a very rational. Maybe it was rational. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, this is going to be the next 10 years of my life. It was, okay, I need to get out of this situation. I'm this kind of you've got to change everything to not change anything. So it's true. I I like being radical about certain things, Mm -hmm. which again is not always the best way to approach uh, uh, decisions, but it made sense for me. If you, if you need to get out, get out completely. And so when Pierre Alain mentioned, I'm going to do a world tour before I'm 30, first thing in my mind was 
people like you don't exist or yeah it's just another phrase we say like i say that too at the office i love to be this i love to do that but you don't do it so like yeah. stop bullshitting but you could see in the way that he spoke that he was really going to do it and i was like i want to be with people like that i want to learn that capability to just control what you say and do things and do it and walk the talk mm -hmm. and so I really it was as simple as can I join and from there it became a tour to 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 research and better understand entrepreneurs around the world to understand what are their needs and every trip we made we were even more convinced we needed to be in these markets and then because because first like Pierre Alain and Michael had been creating together Seed stars, uh, seed stars, yeah, with Adria. So, yeah, so they were, they had started this kind of incubator model of launching their own businesses. But it was at the time it was kind of focused on Switzerland. Yes, and then you you decided to go around the world, exactly. the two of you together with Pierre yeah. Alain, and it became very quickly the focus and the strategy of the whole business. Okay, to build companies with together other entrepreneurs to support entrepreneurs in these markets it was just the sheer amount of opportunity of talents we were exposed to made it very difficult to not consider anything else than that when you were arriving in a new country what were you doing what were you selling what yeah. were you saying to people so when we decided to do this tour there was kind of okay what will be the vehicle what will be kind of this the story that we're going to build that will be the reason to why we're going to these markets. Because in the end, it was first, we want to make a world tour yeah. and then we will try to find exactly. a way to justify the... the no, Pierre Alain always had <laughs> the intention of meeting entrepreneurs like himself because yeah. Michael and Pierre Alain were entrepreneurs. Yeah, real ones, you mean? Like they had already launched businesses yeah. uh, beforehand. So they were already kind of wanting to know what's ha what was happening out there. So there was really that intention. The best way for us, we felt to meet qualified, if I may say so, entrepreneurs, because we were trying to figure out also the, the quality of the startup ecosystem. We said, let's do startup competition. But if people are going to open their doors, it's got to be big. So we committed to investing half a million, up to half the, a million, because it was an then? equity investment. Nothing, nothing. We had investment in Seed Stars Group, but we didn't decide at that point, at that time, that it would be uh, focused on the competition. Yeah. And then we started fundraising. We Pierre Alain was part of this really incredible network called Sandbox, which is young leaders under 30 years old. So we had these point of contacts through Sandbox a bit around the world. The Swiss embassies were huge help. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had Swiss embassies that took us in and helped us out. They would, the ambassadors would be sometimes the ones doing the cocktail at the end of the events at their residency. So we had like really, really strong support from the embassies. And then we found sponsors on the way and, and we made our case. And I so remember... it's really like leaving Switzerland leave, with... Yeah. with you book, we booked all 20 nothing, tickets. And then creating something on the way. Yeah. We knew we had to run, like we could survive three months and we bought, we paid the full amount of all the tickets just to make sure we would commit to it. Yeah, not to say, okay, we come back, it's no. too difficult. Everything was booked, we had paid a fortune, we weren't going to say no. And I remember saying, bon, let's be crazy, we choose 20 countries, but if we do five, that will be great. 
Uh-huh. And we did all 20, all 20 events. And all 20 finalists came to Switzerland for the first edition. And now we're in 100 countries and we have I don't know how many prizes. And we've now invested in 70 companies. But really, the, the main ingredient was just do it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. And were you scared when, when, Petrified. when leaving? <laughs> When leaving, yeah, because you were leaving this <laughs> this super comfortable, I think, situation in L'Oréal with a, I guess, great salary and a, a super nice uh, career opportunities and stuff. And now suddenly you leave. I was petrified. The world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, how did you do to to overcome this fear? I I think part of it is personality. There's something about me that likes being scared. In mm-hmm. the end, um, there's again an element of. <laughs> being spoiled I mean let's not forget I was what 22 or 23 no commitments no no responsibilities I could I mean you get to fail until you're for so now or never exactly now I go meet entrepreneurs that have to fight against everything and anything that's that's not even comparable so it wasn't in hindsight it was an easy decision but my spoiled narrowed mind 23 year old person I was petrified <laughs> and I guess you have you had also this this power coming from love because mm. you were actually this Pierre Alain became your partner yeah uh, in work but also in, in, life. in life yeah this is also something that could have been scaring you I yeah, mean you it was part of it yeah I it mean you fall in love part. and then you you yeah. you actually commit to creating something together everyone knows that it's not an easy path no it's not and I think we and I was also joining an existing team, so I had to prove myself before anything. But I've always said it to women and men. I think the most, and I think Sheryl Sandberg in her book, Lean In, put it so well, this chapter on probably your most important career decision will be the partner you choose, mm-hmm. really. And so a lot of my success is due to the fact that I chose him as my life partner. What does he bring you? Everything. He's one of my my closest mentors. I've learned so much from him. And and I think we we align on the values we want to build as individuals and the and what we're building now for our children. So if you're able to be authentic enough with yourself to know what it is that you want to pursue, and you give that mandate to your partner to help you go there you usually are able to achieve anything you've set forward. So that kind of conscious mandate of being that person that will bring you to wherever you want to be, which can can be sometimes very difficult with regards to the other person's ambitions. And having that support is, uh, yeah, I think it's probably one of the most powerful tools someone has. Because again, I'm I'm really convinced the more I grow, the less I consider myself this kind of individual entity and intellect, I'm really the sum of those that surround me. So my best bet is choosing them wisely. That's a good tip. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and and it's it's. I really believe in that, and I think I have great examples of these unbelievable, even those role models that we have that have been shaped by those uh, that have surrounded them. Yeah, I mean, we know that uh, Angela Merkel would not be Angela Merkel without her <laughs> husband. That's, yeah, yeah for instance. Mm-mm-mm. But for the company, it has never been a problem. I mean, among the partners, you were joining a team of three 
there was three guys in the beginning yeah. and then you were the women just joining the company no. yeah becoming the girlfriend this, of one yeah. of those it must be quite a challenge to find the right position there you the balance would, yeah there was an element okay if Pierre you bring in you are also accountable of who you're bringing in and I think yeah. who you bring in you should be the one to bring them out at seed stars there has been this kind of value of keep it simple, keep it lean. But in that, there actually is the foundation of being transparent. Mm -hmm. There has never been, like, there's been miscommunication, there's been misinterpretation, but there's never been lies or, or unsaid things. Um, unsaid things maybe over time, but I don't know. There, yeah, Michael, uh, yeah, and especially when you think of M Michael also, he's such a, he's such a rock in, in he doesn't get destabilized by these elements and he's going to always be super transparent and now we have we have charlie it's the same thing so the level of fairness and transparency out of this team is quite unbelievable every time there was an issue if i have to be honest it came from me i had huge imposter syndrome i had huge pressure and paranoid i was extremely paranoid to the idea that Either I wasn't good enough or I was considering their comments or their actions as kind of not considering me. But now that I have the, the maturity to look back at it and also discuss these points, I realized most of the time it was me being being meaner to myself than anything else but that's funny what you say so you had this imposter syndrome but mm -hmm. at the same time just before the interview you were telling me that before becoming a mother you never realized that there was some kind of inequality between yeah. men and women but at the same time you have this imposter syndrome that is actually really feminine yes so how comes mm. It it's true. It's it, it, There is a paradox in that. And actually, I recently uh, was listening to an interview from Michelle Obama, who actually believes that the imposter syndrome is not that it's a feminine thing. It's actually a societal consequence of being a minority. Mm -hmm. um, so it would be the same for the black minority. Or the, 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 that have, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is really interesting because I always thought it was hormonal basically it was something really feminine because i saw it mostly in women and there must be some elements of hormones and and but there's so much of the societal implication that you've been brought up with that has an impact also on how you see yourself yeah. but i have it i don't think it will ever go away i've been very comfortable in the past years in embracing it that's what i say just embrace it and figure out your system to tune it off So I really have people on speed dial. I will never say yes or no to an opportunity without speaking to those people because I know I will probably yeah, go against... The mentors you, you're talking about. Always. Yeah. It's fundamental because it won't go away. And now you catch yourself. You just cut the, out those thoughts that, that usually are just here to break you down. Huh? There's nothing... They have no other value than breaking you down. The issue is that I gave it so much value because that was also my stress mechanism to deliver because I'm quite perfectionist. And, and and so you believe that that is your strength, that that is how you perform, because it's putting yourself in so much pressure by the fear that you're going to get caught or people are going to realize that you're not that good, you're not that smart, you're not that, uh, that you work incredibly hard. And so it was part of my performance. Mm -hmm. And so now it's really working on how do you break down, like how do you find a new way of performing without having to use that which was 
a killer, I would lose so much energy and confidence I'm out of it. Trying to be perfect in all le- on all levels. And I haven't figured it. I mean, I, I'm still working with that, but I don't want that to be my only way to perform. When we listen to you, we have the feeling that it, it <laughs> that you've been quite weak in this in this in the beginning because you you explained that you were the center of the problems that maybe the, the founders of Seed Stars had, but at the same time you were chosen as the, as the CEO. Yeah. Then why? What was the reason why you were chosen as the CEO? What was your quality then? So there was a combination of element. It was at the time where I, myself and Charlie were managing Seedstar's world. And Seedstar's has had several activities. And so we were managing Seedstar's world, the whole educational part, which became more and more the front side of Seedstar's, what was the strongest story to tell. And so mm-hmm. marketing-wise, it was the, the, the story that propelled the most and that attracted the most potential clients, potential startups, potential investors. And... Because I was always focused on the business development side and and managing that team, it became coherent with where we stood on me becoming the CEO and that front face. And I've always had that mandate and that strength of uh, of being that public image and managing the public relations and also mm-hmm. doing the business development on the on the community side. Seed Stars internally was structured more as a partnership. So there never was internally as a management perspective kind of one person leading the full group. It's one year ago when we decided that Pierre-Alain and myself would co-lead Seed Stars community. And he has taken on that management role internally much more because we believe that his competencies and his strength would be much more valuable to take the company to the next level. And I would continue that more outside facing. The public image. Absolutely. And it will change uh, over time. And we will always consider the needs of the company first. There's never been ego at Seedstars. Which I guess is also important in a couple. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, do you think that the fact that you were a woman has been also an argument for you to for become the sure. public, the public Absolutely. Well, absolutely. And we gave it uh, the weight, the importance that it had to have. A young woman in tech is unfortunately not the norm. And we were and we were realizing that a lot of people wanted to interact with us also because of that. I would have huge media attention because of the fact that I was a woman. So we we were, and I think it's still the case, definitely surfing that wave. But for you it was never a problem. You you accepted it was a huge problem. Yeah, it's not easy. And I guess some people <laughs> were just telling you, Oh, you are the CEO because you are a woman. Yes. But of course, it's not the only reason. <laughs> no, no, it was a huge just a problem. plus, a bonus. But no, no, it's not a bonus. It's a, it. You are you represent an infinite amount of strengths and weaknesses, and it was one of the strengths that you have to give it credibility. But you don't you don't give it too much credibility. It has the credibility that it has. I had the issue that due to my imposter syndrome, I was playing that out even more. I was giving it too much importance. So at the beginning, it was really like, oh my gosh, it's only because I'm a woman that I'm getting this. It's only because... So you were believing this. Huge. Yeah. And, and if you believe it, you allow other people to believe it. Yeah, of course. 
that's where the danger comes. That's why from what I'm saying is that if you want to be brutally honest with yourself, most of the accusations or most of the things you believe are kind of brought to you. It's actually you that it's your, it's what you've conceived, like I would always say I'm the yeah. I see myself like this because of the consequence of the rest. But actually, I was I had this huge pressure, and it comes from society that kind of probably made me believe that. But the where I saw a huge difference in how I respected myself was the day where I said I won't give it more importance than it should. It has importance. It's part of the equation. But it sits to a certain degree as other assets that I have. And uh, when you're able to take that step back, you are the first to be able to change, like shift the minds of others around you. And there will always be haters, huh? let's be clear. <laughs> yeah, and there would be, I think the, the, all the women that are now taking like uh, high positions and uh, a lot of responsibilities, they will be at some point facing this kind of argumentation or that they are here just because they are women. So what, what is your advice to them? I think it's not, don't ignore it. Just really understand, understand that it's part of you. It's true. You are a woman. You're not going to fake that. That's part of you. And with that comes a certain amount of strengths and weaknesses. If you believe sincerely that the person in front of you took you just for that, maybe you should reconsider the opportunity sincerely. Because that means you're also, that's the kind of job and environment and team that you're going to be working with on a day-to-day. Either make it your life challenge to change their minds or just be authentic with the fact of who you want to work with. Yeah, because I was um, maybe just after some time when you were working as a CEO for a few months or a few years, we realized what you've been doing and what you've been creating and how important you've been for the company maybe and then... You must, yeah, no? But it's tough huh? It's when tough you have the imposter realize. syndrome, I, th- I guess. Yeah. I mean, it would be misleading for me to say that suddenly, aha, uh-huh. for sure when you have, for anything, when you come to a point where you master it, it doesn't become an issue anymore on that subject matter. Mm-hmm. But because you're constantly growing and you're constantly faced with new challenges, you can just so eloquently put the imposter syndrome on something <laughs> else so yeah no unfortunately it's a never-ending thing and it's it's something that i wanted to ask you actually about leadership mm. uh, being the ceo of a company that is growing like seed stars all the time i think mm-hmm. you've been growing every year since 2013 mm-hmm. when you were created what does it represent for the ceo at least for the management team like you yes. how do you adapt to this how do you make sure that your that your position your role what you bring to the company is always relevant absolutely um i i love the way that uh, the management team operates at seed stars in which there is the, we're quite brutally honest which is not easy i have learned over the years how to manage the brutality of the facts and how to put my ego aside because I had and still have a lot of ego, so it's still something I'm working on. But if you are brutally honest, you quickly understand, one, you're you're replaceable, okay? As easy as that. So you have to understand what is the value you want to bring 
and keep it on not too long periods. So there is this really kind of remise en question every year at Seed Stars, and you want it, you have to deliver. I mean, the pace at which we're growing, reflecting the ambitions that we have, um, it's very difficult to kind of hide on the sidelines. It doesn't work like that at Seed Stars. It's still too small and agile, and we're still just figuring out what works. Huh? Yeah, people realize what you are doing or not, actually, uh, all the time. Super difficult to not. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I think that the the way that it were structured and the values that we have makes it difficult to not question yourself, and you try your best to stay relevant. And I remember... You always ask yourself, do you want to be good everywhere? Do you want to double down on your superpowers? Um, and so we're, we're figuring that out to make sure that we're relevant. And you have to also ask yourself, uh, and I think we're a team that will want to be aware of when we're no longer relevant, mm -hmm. if that can be possible. I was listening to a podcast with the CEO of Spotify mm -hmm. that was super interesting. And he was like explaining also starting from starting his company with almost no one a very small team and now being like such a big company and how he had to reinvent every single day his tasks yeah and uh how to make sure that you stay relevant and he was really asking his management to tell him whenever he was not relevant anymore so his management team was at some point telling him like actually you should not be here in this meeting you are yeah irrelevant we you don't bring anything now yeah. you have to go out and bring something else please Absolutely. So what do you bring now? And he's a brilliant miner. Spotify, we, we, we've, we've studied them a lot on their organizational structure, which is really interesting, this flat management and agile approach to managing. Oof, what is it that I bring to the table? Ah, yeah, yeah, it doesn't work well with the imposter syndrome, huh? Um... I think it's it's very actually it's very descriptive. Huh? It's linked to my mandate right now at Seed Stars, which is to inspire internally and externally. So really, that public image and represent at its best the values and the mission statement of Seed Stars, and hence to attract the best talents, to attract the most valuable partnerships, to attract the most interesting investors. Uh, to connect with the best startups. Um, so yeah, I think that that really is my mandate. Actually, if we talk a bit more about Seed Stars, so you are a really international company. Mm -hmm. I think you were saying it in how many countries are you now? So with the competition, which is the larger initiative, we're now, I think we're in 96 countries. Uh -huh. And then we're in 15 hubs. We've operated in 30 countries, different training educational programs. And if I'm not mistaken, investment-wise... I think it's now spread across 30, 35 countries. Yeah, because, yeah, first of all, this is something you are way more than just a competition. Yes. You are also a real venture capital fund. Yes. You created these seed spaces that are like co-working mm -hmm. and co-living spaces. Uh, you have this uh, acceleration and growth programs. Yes. To what extent was it important for seed stars to diversify like this? extremely important and i guess the pandemic shows that it was a it was a wise decision so our mission statement to have an impact in emerging markets through technology and entrepreneurship has never changed okay it was maybe a gut feeling the first years but the moment we had to write it down it's been the same 
we've fine-tuned it in understanding that to have this impact, we really want to support and invest in high-growth ventures. So in the jargon of today, it's the startups, okay, with exponential growth and usually have a level of innovation and disruption. For that, we've kind of consolidated our activities across two main pillars, which is one, support through network, visibility, education. And in that, we have a portfolio of activities that we do, startup competition, we have a content platform, we have acceleration programs, incubation programs, academy programs that can run for two years. So really a a set of activities that we feel can trigger talents and businesses to scale. Mm -hmm. And then there's the whole investment activity where we've also tested out different elements. And now indeed we're structured as a VC fund and deploying more funds to invest in these companies. The types of services, the investment vehicle, the the investment thesis, all this can change if we believe it helps us to get to our goal of supporting and investing in these high growth ventures. So it can change over time. We're very comfortable with that, but we know that we need more talents to access better skills, and we need more capital inflow in these markets. And you are investing all this money and doing all these these accelerations programs and and everything in the developing countries. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, have you ever been concerned by the fact that you are coming with your Western eye mm-hmm. in those countries, and you know, uh, with your rules, with your vocabulary, with your absolutely, yeah. So, so how do you face this? How do you Absolutely. Make sure that you're not coming with your big boots and... I think we've made mistakes. I'm probably sure there are stories and, and elements that can show we came from our Western eye. But I think first, you we fundamentally believe in the wisdom of the crowd so that you can make better decision and more prosperous decisions if you are, you represent a truly diverse group of people. And so because we were going to tailor activities to the world, basically we chose, let's go everywhere in emerging markets. We had to have an internal diverse team ourselves. So Seed Stars, I think now we're nearly 100 people in 50 plus countries from uh, 40 different nationalities. So we've embedded that from day one and they come in with their own vocabulary, their own experience. And then we walked the talk in the sense we went, we lived, we went to Nigeria, I remember, to launch our first incubator. We tried to start ourselves, our own businesses around the world. We've succeeded in launching several companies that are still here fundraising and scaling. And I think in the DNA of Seed Seed Stars and in our theory of change, which is the framework that we use to measure our impact, there is a clear sense that to support entrepreneurs, we will be entrepreneurs ourselves. It's for us, by us. Entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So that level of you've got to walk the talk to be able to support was really important in how we operated. And how do you do to actually create a culture for the company with so many different nationalities yes around Um, the world like not being in the same place and i guess this is one of your missions as as the ceo how do you do to to create this community feeling yeah this company Um, feeling i think in hindsight we were actually quite lucky in making the decision that we would be global from day one because 
we were hit with the problem of culture very early on. Mm -hmm. So it was two, three years in Seed Stars that because your team was in remote, because everyone was on different time zones, different management styles came in with their own baggage, we had to build a culture as soon as possible because it's basically management at scale. And we were already facing scale issues just because people, no one was in the same office. And so there's just this level of years of experience of every day figuring out what were the values of Seed Stars, which when you travel the world, you realize that there are many principles that are universal, no matter what language, country, culture. Like what? What are, what are the values of Seed Stars actually? Like Seed Stars, we have independently together, which is this element of entrepreneurial mindset that we will always support one another. And there is really this sense of culture of support where anyone on our Slack channels can ask for help and they will get an answer. And some have built their deepest relationships at Seed Stars professionally and personally. And at the same time, you are 100% accountable for your actions. Mm -hmm. We have... <laughs> this is a more recent one, no excuses, because there's become a plague of coming up with excuses for anything, um, which doesn't mean you're, you can't miss a deadline, but you have to come in beforehand with the right arguments. We have in experiments we trust. Failure is not, it's not failing to fail. I think you can fail stupidly and you can fail for no reason. That's not what we're saying. We're saying fail because that's the only methodology that's proven to have some level of success in what you operate. And all these values, we believe in them in our day-to-day -day life. It's really a mindset. It's a lifestyle. We live by these rules that we've said. And I think if you recruit your talent accordingly and you're specific enough in explaining who you are and how you operate, we can do anything together. There, I recognize your American side. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. Um, <laughs> so basically, you were like sitting uh, with your management team and defining these this values. No, it was a lot of research. We have this unbelievable talent, Horacio, which manages our people operations, who's obsessed with, with leadership and values mm -hmm. and culture. There was so much research. I remember reading this Harvard Business Case Study, which, which was the one that said, which had stuck to me, make sure enough people hate it. It's so true. You so don't want to be moderately cool for everyone. What does that mean? For what purpose? And I think it also, it had to represent the DNA of the founding team, because if you weren't even authentic and at your level, it would become fake over, over a very short period of time and the value would be zero. And then it was, Horacio has been experimenting for the past six years every day on figuring out how do you embed that in the day-to-day. -day. And it's in our tribe councils. It's how you recognize work in seed stars people hashtag them every day yeah just don't bullshit with it because it's only going to be counterproductive and i guess one of the most important thing is also the hr side mm. like how do you actually just find the right team you must have set up quite and yeah. yeah i think culture is the big element to it because if you have that right then you just look at the process from 
acquiring a talent to retaining them to the exit or the the, the growth within the company. Um, and you figure out um, how you can be as authentic with your culture and how you can make sure your culture can allow this talent to be the, at their best. What would be your, your tip to young company that tries to recruit, recruit talents? I think it would be that uh, we kind of had to to hit the roadblock very early on. And usually we see startups focusing on culture a bit later in their life cycle to not underestimate the work and the importance in figuring out what are your values mm -hmm. um, and hence how do you embed them in the operating system in the compensation system, in the monitoring system um, that is your company. Yeah, you have to make sure that they are going to to say yes to yes. every single step. Yeah. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Yeah. So we are going to the last part of the mm -hmm. interview and I would like to get your expertise as a mother, <laughs> as a working mother. <laughs> yeah. I would like to understand what changed for you the most when you became a mother and to what extent has it been uh, influencing your professional life? Ay, ay, ay. Everything changed. Everything changed. Like we were discussing before, I think what was most shocking to me was I was being fundamentally, I was deconstructing myself at my core. Literally, everything changes in you, literally. And my partner on the other side was just amplified with this new role. And succeeding very naturally whereas I was struggling to figure out who am I now with this new role and it's still a struggle <laughs> it's still a struggle even though three years in two kids in um, I'm starting to to come out of this experience with with a new set of tools and understanding of myself So you were kind of trying to put yourself in a case that was not yeah. yours and you were trying to figure out what what you were becoming? I, I had before my first, when I was pregnant for the first time, I unfortunately listened and gave a lot of importance to people and the wider community telling me like, Alize, like show us it can be possible. Like mm -hmm. you are the example of the working mom, like. And it was this sense of like, don't let us down. And so I really went in and like, I'm not going to take a maternity leave and I'm going to come back and, and prove the world. And it was really counterproductive in that I was just exhausted. You exhausted. cannot do everything. Yeah. It's not that you cannot do everything because I think you can. It's just you need to understand there are new phases and it's a new timeline that you weren't used to. You can't do everything at a certain level of energy all the time, but you can do it in periods and it can be just as effective because maybe there was so much downtime, inefficient time, non-valuable time that you were taking for granted. And I think the moment you live it and hence realize that it's possible, it came a certain level of peace within myself that... I can do it differently. Now, where it's difficult to give advice is that I am in this unique position of being my own boss and having unbelievable partners that haven't put the pressure. So I was able to come back in my own time. I was able to not perform on ridiculous objectives. 
I was able to say stupid things and not think that would mean I would be fired because you lose a lot of confidence. I don't know how much of it it's hormone. I haven't studied that part, but for some reason I lost a lot of confidence. And maybe it's because even if you do a one month, two month, three month, four month, whatever is the time needed for you to to do this maternity leave, you yeah, that amount of time away and that level of focus on something else for that long makes you kind of feel unequipped suddenly. And at Seed Stars, for my second child, I took four months maternity leave. Four months is huge. Like literally so much changes in four months. But yeah, so so that's difficult because I do realize I'm in a unique position and I speak to other mothers where they're like, I don't have that level of trust, fairness in how I get to go back in. They have to come back when They have to come back in. And everything is kind of becomes a lie, uh, misleading information of I need to go earlier there. I need to do this. I need to do that. And, and then I understand the toll it takes on you because your energy capital is so limited and it's, it's tough the first years of a child's life and, and the amount of energy you need to dedicate. So I do realize cost opportunity wise, it becomes very difficult to stay focused on the longer term game, which is your identity. Don't you think that this would be kind of solved if men were also taking a paternity leave? Not necessarily. I mean, I think, yeah, it's a step forward. But I mean, what's that threshold of time that will really change the mindset of people? It's needed, huh, for sure. But uh, I was speaking to fathers who in their company, they allowed them one month, but Then there was the informal culture of you never take that, even if legally you're allowed to. Yeah, but this to. is in Switzerland, but in other countries, like in, in, in Sweden, when you, when you don't take your paternity leave, then you're... Absolutely. Yeah. And then it's misconsidered, like you yeah. you are the bad father. So it's... Completely. And, 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 then, and at then, Seed Stars, I don't see many fathers taking a real paternity leave. So I, I mean, there's so much... It's, it's still not part change. Of the yeah, there's so much change needed to be done in the culture. What we try to do as Seed Stars is we we also have that luck to be at a stage of a business where we can customize and we try to customize as much as possible because the reality is you have different needs to another talent. And that's the fear of standardization through kind of frameworks is that you miss out on the real needs and we try to build safe spaces where the talents can really speak out with their own needs i feel like it's the case but then speaking to a talent recently not having day-to-day -day interactions with the founding team and having just joined she, she didn't feel like she could say it so i mean we're living with all this also that we have to better manage as a company mm -hmm. do you still think that we can you can be successful on all levels Like work, love, and family? A year ago, I would have told you no. Now, yes. That's really. a good sign. <laughs> it's just a question of timing and being okay with it's not all at the same time. And if you're more authentic with yourself and more intentional with really with what matters, there's a lot of bullshit you convinced yourself were important. And so... If you really have to focus on the fundamentals, you can find the time. What is the most important value that you want to, to pass on to your children? Mm, I don't have one. <laughs> I don't have one value. We have values that with Pierre-Alain, we consciously decided that we wanted to share with our children. 
and they all have the same importance. But, uh, uh, but you know, it sounds cheesy when you try to put a word to them. Uh, but uh, yeah, there is this level of generosity that for us is fundamental. We don't know what word to put to it, but not maybe not work ethic because there's a negative connotation, especially in the French grammar to what work is. Travail is labeur. It's something that's yeah. it's very negative. Whereas for us, it, we see it more as something that that allows you to to build yourself as an individual and to fulfill yourself. Yeah, and, and we don't want to use the word passion, even though in its roots there's a lot of work in the word passion, but it, it's so misleading in today's society. And I've been for 10 years trying to find what's my passion. <laughs> and the moment I stopped trying to search you it, it I feel much to, better. To find the passion. You have the pressure, this yeah. huge yeah. pressure. Yeah. And then you, you mistake it with so many other different things. Mm. I'm going to finish with a few questions, short questions. Mm -hmm. um, are you a feminist? Yes. Do you have something just to, that you do every day as a feminist to try to change things or to... Oh, wow. Uh... Just in the way that you, you know, in, in the way the media sees you, you you seem so, so that's fine. Okay. You, <laughs> the image that you give is already good. Okay. Do you have an exciting project that you would like to share? Boa seed stars. <laughs> That's kind of my, what I dream, sleep, uh, eat, breathe. Uh, but yeah, it's super exciting. I mean, I've got too many projects to share. <laughs> what does success mean in your opinion? I'm still figuring that out. Yeah. What would you do if you were a man for 24 hours? <laughs> no clue. I, I've never wanted to be a man. <laughs> I have no clue. What are you proud of? Uh, I'm proud of uh, my children and, and seed stars. And the last question, who would you like to hear on this podcast? Too many women. Everyone I listed at, for your first question and thousands more. <laughs> But do you have one close to you, some, someone from Switzerland maybe or from France? That could be a good guest. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, I wonder if... Uh, no, she's not in Switzerland. Um... She doesn't have to be, but like no, someone but that I what? could reach. She 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 wrote me a message. There's a, an ex-talent of Seed Star, Julianne Buti, who now uh, she's from Fribourg, and she uh, she's now working in an, in an unbelievable education company from Mexico, Platzi. Uh, and yeah, I would like to, <laughs> I would love to hear her answers to these questions. She's in Mexico. She's based in Mexico. Now. Uh, with everything that's going on, I think she's still in Switzerland right now. But uh, yeah. okay, cool. I yeah. Check. yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Alize, for your time. Thank you very much for the the interesting questions. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thanks to you who listened to this episode until the end. If you liked it. And if you want to help me grow Brilliant, it's very simple. Just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform and share it with as many people around you as possible or on your social networks. This is really a great help for me. Merci à toi et à bientôt sur Brilliant.